Welcome to the Adoptee Thoughts Podcast. I am your host, Melissa Guida Richards, an author, adoptee, and mom. Each week, we will delve into the nuances of adoption, as well as tips for how to bring up difficult discussions in your adoptive family. And most importantly, we will not shy away from tough topics. So thanks for joining me today, and let's jump into your weekly dose of Adoptee Thoughts. Hi, thank you so much for joining us today at Adoptee Thoughts. Can you please introduce yourself? Of course. I am Paige Knipfer. I am the owner of Love Grown Adoption Consulting, and I'm an adoptive parent. How did you get into adoption consulting? That's a really good question. Um, I always say if I could blow up the whole like adoption and foster care system, I would. Um, but I am one human and I have always tried to rack my brain of how I could make a small dent in, in this very backwards system. Um, I also, my undergrads in political science. So I did go through extra hours of training through the state that I live in, which is Wisconsin to do advocacy work. Um, which for those that have done any advocacy work, I joke, um, it's kind of like hitting your head against a brick wall. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's valid and I definitely still do some advocacy work and, and I uh, commend people who continue to beat that drum because it's needed, uh, especially in adoption. But um, I kind of kept coming back to all the prospective families and all the things I wish I would have known, didn't know what to ask, didn't know what to advocate for, just didn't know what I didn't know. Um, and so that's kind of where this website started. I started building my content and my training curriculum stuff. Um, so I should also add there, I do um, platform education training in my day job. Um, very different. It's financial. <laughs> but um, I apply kind of those same concepts. And I have 10 plus years of doing that on a training platform. Um, and so that's kind of where some of that comes from as far as the education piece and why I'm so passionate about education. Um, I started writing articles too on adoption and doing podcast interviews and um, that's kind of where it started. And then, yeah, I built the website and my goal was to just help like one family a year. You know, I've met people for free for years at coffee shops and I still do. Um, But, you know, if I can make this into somewhat more of a business, great. Uh, Pun intended though, it has grown way more than I ever anticipated. Uh, and so that's kind of how, long I can relate. how it started, but <laughs> it, right. I just um, wanted to make a dent and catch and catch people um, if I could uh, prior to kind of really getting, getting in, into adoption. Um, not to relate, like uh, helping them be properly educated and also just um, the, some find that adoption is not the route that they um, should go in pursuing growing their family. And I'd much rather them figure that out and, and take on education and coaching ahead of time. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how it started. I feel like with a lot of the adoptive parents that I've met and have reached out to me, there's usually like two camps, one where they're like overly eager and excited and ready to go into this and a little naive, although well-intentioned. But then there's the other group who like is often like been there in the adoption sphere, have a lot of opinions and feelings and are just doing 
their best and it's just funny to see kind of like the before and the after um and i'm always so grateful just to talk to everyone in the adoption community but how's that experience working firsthand with these families that have these bright eyes and bushy tails and are ready to hop in and then kind of the reality and the education starts to happen and sometimes things you know go great but sometimes you know there's a little (laughs) it's a little draining to be honest um because it's a lot right what i do is uh, i can't just be and i am a blunt person and i'm very honest with families because i want them to be prepared because that's the other thing i always i i joke right we rainbow-fy the adoption process um and and movie and tv and, and things don't help um but there are and were incredibly hard parts in our journey and there is and um i was very unprepared our first adoption and so i fumbled a lot and i talk about that a lot um and i think that that's where my niche is, right, is I've gone through it and like, and then I direct them to to listen to, to birth parents and adoptee voices. Um, because I think sometimes that's not often told in, in an agency. And that's the other unfortunate part too, is just what education is even being provided by an agency? How outdated is it? Some states don't even require education hours, um, right? And so there's just a lot that... You can't blame them sometimes, right? And like I was that, and if I can help them in any way, but it is—it's a very slow process too, right? It's not like I give them here's all these books to read and here's all this stuff, right? It's a slow moving consulting, and I do all sorts of different media podcasts, right, um, and books and different things um, as they go along in their journey. And there's different pieces too, right? Because you you kind of have to ease ease into it, um, and that's the other thing too of like I, I the listening, right? I tell people um, to follow adoptees and birth parents on social media um, because there's so much education to be had in that. But to just mm-hmm. listen, like just for like, and in any group, right? And you join groups too, just listen for like four months. Like, do not comment period, point blank. And also, um, I think we often as adoptive parents get very defensive that we're being told not to do something or doing something wrong or whatever the case may be. And nine times out of 10, right, um, a social media account that exists from a birth parent or an adoptee perspective is just trying to tell you how to do things better, right? Or how we can be better as a judge. That's that's my like hope too, right? Is and all I hope a lot of us, right? Is like that each generation of adoption. Yeah, it'll never be perfect. It will always have trauma. It will all right. Like I get, we all know that. But how can we make it better? How can we learn from adoptees? Um, and yeah, and how can we walk? That's right. Walk with your child through this appropriately and the best that you can. Um, yeah, and then that's the other thing I always talk about too, therapy. Um, there's a lot of <laughs> prospective couples that come into this. And I can say that because I was one who go through infertility and don't properly go to therapy for that um, or have secondary infertility or um, mm-hmm. even people who feel called to adopt. I would ask you to really sit in that and think about what, the whys behind that. Um, prior to really just diving in. Um, 
but yeah, that's a, like another thing too. I talk about a lot is like, the, I love therapy. I will preach that till the moon. Um, Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's incredibly helpful for all involved. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I, I feel like all sides of the adoption community from birth parents to adoptive parents to adoptees, like can all benefit from therapy and my mindset is just like even if you think like everything's going great like why not learn the tools so when something happens you know how to handle it and with adoption at some point there's going to be grief there's going to be trauma you know that we need to work through and we all have very unique stories and what I've learned about like becoming a mom I'm a biological mom to two little boys and they're my heart my soul but I've learned that just being a mom and raising children you have so many hopes dreams love in your heart that it's hard to always see things clearly and I know a lot of us we're just trying to do our best but that doesn't mean that there isn't room for improvement and so that's like one of the reasons why I wrote my book what white parents should know about transracial adoption and I actually have been really really pleased by the adoptive parent side of um, our community because I didn't write it as like an attack um, adoptive parents like this is what you're doing wrong like you guys suck is more out of a place like of love and I've had the amazing experience of working with my mother my adoptive mother and if it weren't for these hard conversations and this education and therapy and time and effort that we've both put in we wouldn't have the relationship that we do now and so I I feel like more adoptive parents need to be educated from like the get-go which is why I love the work that you do because I know you're working on educating parents of like different things like advertising and um like ethicalness and um sometimes I feel like it's easier for adoptive parents to kind of communicate with other adoptive parents who have been there because there's a little less defensiveness but overall I'm curious like do you still deal with like a lot of defensiveness and reluctance to kind of like face some truths or encouragement to learn and listen to adoptees and oh for sure I do think it is a lot less at least what I see on social media for adoptees and birth parents um it's a lot less because, again, I, I can come from that of like, I've done this, I've gone through this, and I can relate on so many levels of, because a lot of adoptive parents come into this, right? We are we are the ones that get out of, out of this whole, whatever you want to call it, constellation triad, we win, so to speak. We get to be parents. We don't, you know, it's not, uh, it is somewhat traumatizing. Like, that's often, often something, too, I talk about of... Yeah, I have like a whole training video just on the hospital. So for like my daughter's adoption, um, I talk about the day she was born, right? It's like the happiest day. It's your child. It's the it's their birth. Um, but I, it was so weird again because of that rainbow fying that I felt so um, so incredibly sad for everyone for her. Like knowing my daughter wouldn't be with her biology 
for my daughter's birth mom. Um, like it's a whole other level that day. Mm -hmm. Like it's a very emotional day that I think a lot of adoptive parents are not prepared for, right? Because they, they think, right, like baby and like, which, you know, again, so did I. Um, and so it kind of, it, it emotionally wrecked me to a degree. So I can talk about like those types of things. And I talk about, um, guilt, right? Like a lot of adoptive parents come home and I remember, you know, like having the, even not even big moments, it can be really small moments, right. Of like my daughter sleeping on me. I'm like on my chest and rocking her to sleep. Like I remember feeling guilt that like I get to experience this and her biological family does not. Um, and so like, even if we, and we do have an open adoption, right. But they still like, it's, you're, you're grieving like for them. It's as weird as that is. Um, and so those are things that I can like speak on because again, I I've gone or isolation too. I just feel like a lot of adoptive parents come home and, um, you know, love my friends and family dearly. And again, and I, I know birth parents and adoptees can also relate to this of like, they just won't get it. They just don't. And I, they can try their darndest. They can read books and they just don't get it like another person who's gone through this does. So ju just as, as it is for birth parents connecting with other birth parents and adoptees connecting with other adoptees, it's the same with adoptive parents. Um, and so that I think helps me immensely, if that makes sense. But yeah, I do still, and that's where, right, it's like, like I said, it's a gradual thing. Like I would never have, um, I, I typically don't encourage an adoptive parent fresh doe-eyed to read uh, Primal Wound. Right. Because mm. it's a it's a in my mind and in my opinion, an incredibly hard book to to emotionally digest as an adoptive parent pursuing what it, like what that book is titled. Right. Like, um, yeah, it, it's it's something really hard to sit in emotionally. And I, it's not something I want families to read it. It's a great book. I think you definitely should. But I do think it's something that should be more not right at the beginning of, of learning about adoption and everything. Right. So, yeah. And I totally get what you mean. Just like reading something that heavy, like primal wound. I feel like it could make things potentially worse because like, I know if someone like addressed me about something and then told me all these like really heartfelt things, I, I feel like you could either, try to like absorb it and learn or like you know instinct is like to get defensive and to not want to feel pain and I, I I talk about it at length on like my Instagram and stuff it's just like adoptive parents and just parents in general we want to protect our kids and when we're hearing oh well if you're adopting cross-culturally they're going to experience racism they're going to experience micro microaggressions from within the home sometimes and then that could be just like a tough pill to swallow because you never want to be a part of the thing that's hurting your children and it I it takes a lot I think of self-awareness and um just reflection to be able to to learn sit there and um uh, and that's also just really refreshing I think when we work with adoptive parents and they get that little click oh that click is and... amazing. that light bulb oh it's <laughs> it 
just changes things and then it opens so many doors because all of a sudden you, you go from like those instinctive defensive mechanisms to a whole other field level of potential of yeah yes and and then the beauty of that is i feel like right now we are stuck in a generation where now adoptees and birth parents are finding their voices and for years it's been adoptive parents and like adoption professionals but now we have this field of like adoptees who have dealt with some things who've had great parents who have not so great parents it's a whole collective but now we've been educating and so many people have been in this field educating adoptive parents bringing together families and working through trauma and stuff and i am so interested in seeing how this pans out a few years and see see where we are see where we are with the stats and the comorbidities and all that stuff with a uh, adopted child growing up and, just and open uh, adoption too i am so curious yeah i i look forward to you know, even seeing some of the adoptees who are now approaching like teenage years and then in and and forward, but those that have now, again, not all, right, but we are swaying more in the direction of open adoption and an open relationship and connection to biology in some capacity, you know, again, it varies. But yeah, I, I'm, I would, for from birth parent perspective and adoptee perspective, like, I want, and then, right, we're going to learn from that what, what went yeah. well and what didn't. Um, but I just, I'm so curious to see that shift as well. Because mm-hmm. I think it's a, a great one. Definitely. Um, my other question for you is Did you always want to adopt, or was it something that kind of developed later on after you got married and what have you? Oh, boy. Okay, so I <laughs> have had four open heart surgeries. Um, when I was born, I was born with two heart conditions. So I had four open heart surgeries before the age of five. Um, so I knew growing up that that was a, a potential, right? Like my cardiologist had always said, yeah. we don't know. And like same with, this is a whole other level, but um, heart patients are living longer because of the surgery. So Um, When I was a kid um, in the 90s, right, like um, kids weren't weren't making it past a certain age with heart defects. Um, Obviously, we've come a long way in science. And so they're living into adulthood and living full, thriving, amazing lives, which is awesome. But when I grew Mm -hmm. up right in the 90s, that was pretty much the answer to everything of we don't know, right? You're, every person is different. Every kid is different. Every situation is different. And just medical advances. Um, so I always knew like that it was a, I don't know. Um, I met my husband in high school. We are high school sweethearts. We have been married almost 10 years, oh. 10 years this year. Um, so he has also been acutely aware. Um, and I don't think he fully was aware until I made him come to one of my car- cardiology appointments and he saw me, um, kind of, cause everyone sees me as this like healthy individual, which is great. Um, so it's really a reality check when you see me hooked up to everything and, and you see that that really it, my heart is not <laughs> um, super healthy. So, um, yeah. I mean, it is, but it's been fixed. Right. So there's a lot of issues that can occur. Um, and so then that's where so he knew right to. Um, and so we had always talked kind of about adoption. I think, again, I had no idea what I was 
like diving into. Um, we had talked about foster care. My husband's family did foster care and he had a, a sibling for about two years that ended up going back to his biological mom. Um, it was just really traumatizing for his family. And so he was really adamant that he did not want to do foster care. Um, and mm-hmm. so I respected that cause I, you know, that was not my life experience. Um, and so, yeah, we kind of started looking at adoption. Um, we did actually try though for a year. Um, and basically I would have been a high risk, but when we were going to start fertility, um, they do like genetic testing and we both found out we're, we were carriers of cystic fibrosis. And so I don't know why, but that was like the light bulb moment for us of like, what are we doing in pursuing biology and how, how important is biology? Right. So I respect women who continue IVF. I think I commend them. Um, it's amazing. But for us, like we just, that wasn't important. We just wanted to be parents. Um, yeah. So that's kind of why we, we, I never started fertility treatment. We stopped. We were just like the high risk of this child having now potentially a heart problem and cystic fibrosis and right. And so then we kind of started looking and educating into adoption. Um, like I said, though, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, <laughs> and I have come a long way. Um, and I hope all adoptive parents do. Um, but yeah, and I always wanted to be a mom. I like was that kid that had dolls and like, I always knew I wanted to be a mom. Me too. No matter what capacity I didn't care, which is like, right. Um, and then I also, <laughs> I did a lot of extensive traveling when I was in college. Um, and I, I did visit and, and volunteer at quite a few orphanages, um, in China and Ghana and, Cambodia, and I'm trying to think of where else, uh, India. Um, so I do have like kind of a, a knowledge of international too. Um, but we, again, we didn't pursue that. Um, just cause mm-hmm. I knew, um, again, because of my traveling, some of the unethical concerns, um, international adoption has. And so that's kind of why we, yeah. I'm not that I, again, my narrow-minded brain thought domestic would be, you know, more ethical. Um, I don't, I would argue different now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's kind of what led us to, to that. Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I feel like so many adoptive parents just have such strength because making this decision to adopt a child, I don't think it's ever easy from any side of our community. And like, I can relate so much because like my, my adoptive mother, she struggled with infertility and I struggled with infertility for years and I have many health issues and endometriosis. So, um, after like a five hour surgery and I was finally feeling better, like we didn't know if we were actually going to be able to have kids or not. And, you know, as luck would have it, we, we were, but now like we had two and, it's too high risk to even consider having another child. So uh, we've kind of closed the book on that. Um, But I know there's a lot of pain in the adoptee and birth, um, birth family community, but there's also pain in infertility. And I feel like that's something I've been able to understand a little bit more because I've experienced it. And I feel like 
adoptees and everybody we're allowed to have our feelings and emotions and stuff but I just think it's another factor to consider and just to think about and I I definitely was able to like see my adoptive mother in another light once I had experienced similar things and to see like her need to have a child and why why she really wanted a baby and why she wanted to have a son later on and then um, I think that that helped a lot in our relationship. Um, so it's just to say that, um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I know yeah. I just think it can be hard. Properly grieving that, right? And like I said, and having those hard conversations with your significant other of what you want and how, like I said, how important biology is. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with that. I just... Mm-hmm it was not important to me. Honestly, the the part that I grieved was uh, the pregnancy, which is funny, right? Because a lot of people like <laughs> joke about hating their pregnancy experience, but right, that was what I really grieved yeah. is like, I wouldn't experience that and I wouldn't experience growing this child um, mm-hmm. versus the biology piece, right? And that's a whole other separate piece. Um, so I really, that was my grief and that was something I had, like I said, that's why I therapy. I just really, <laughs> I caution families with infertility and I can, because I was one to just properly have those conversations, grieve therapy prior to pursuing adoption, because it'll only make you a better adoptive parent. Um, yeah. And I think even my, too, I did not have a great childhood. Um, and I thought I had properly gone to therapy for that. But when you become a parent, it brings up all the things that you think it may not. And so it's yes. always good to have that. And then there's a whole other layer too with open adoption that I feel like adoptive parents need to come to of, um, I don't know, not shared. I mean, you're not sh- sharing, but like I view my daughter's and my son's parents as other parents, right? Like we call them mom. I, I don't call them birth, blah, blah, blah. Right. Like, um, and yeah. they come and we have open like they come and stay here for several days or weeks. Um, and so this is just another person that loves my child. Um, yes. And I think it took a while, right? You have this like protective almost instinct as a parent. And like, it's very, I guess, weird to like go against that. But again, just shifting your view of like I said, there's a biology and they're not replacing you and there are other people to love on your child. Um, I also think too, when I, one of the first like visits we did for several days, I was like mentally preparing myself for um, my <laughs> daughter, maybe to prefer her over me. Right. Cause I did, I didn't want to, I wanted to be okay and chill. Right. So I yeah. kind of mentally prepare different scenarios in my head. That's just who I am as a person. Um, but i maybe that'll work for anyone that's listening to. Um, and I'm sure birth parents do this at visits too. Um, but I, she's still right. I'm still her mom. And so she's like, mm-hmm. I spend every day with her. And so it was just kind of like this eye opening thing, right. That like, I don't know, but yeah, it's a, it's a weird space to be in to like now and, and you're navigating a relationship essentially for your child for the first mm-hmm. years because they're little. Right. And like, I hope to have, and I have a good, thankfully relationship. Right. But at the end of the day, I don't need to have a good, really like I, I want that, but really the goal is the 
birth parents and my child, right? Like yes. what I'm facilitating, um, it's a bonus that, that we have a good relationship. <laughs> but it's a weird spot to be into, like I said, like those first couple of years, because you're navigating that and your parenthood and, and all the things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it's so funny because like, I think I was messaging you like a few months ago and you're like, yeah, I'm getting ready for like a visit. And I was just like, oh my God, that's adorable. Like so sweet. And it just like warmed my heart because that's something I never got to experience because I had a closed international adoption and I didn't know, even know who my birth mom was until a few years ago. So um, it was just cool to see things from a different perspective and i i totally encourage like adoptive parents like when it's possible when it's safe and when you have those opportunities take advantage of it like i i I try to frame it as like you said like it's not a battle of like who's gonna love them more who are they gonna love more it it's like an addition and like if you broke up with your spouse and they got remarried like it's more people to love a child and what's wrong with that? Like, mm-hmm. that's great. You know, like more, more people, it takes a village. It takes a village, especially in adoptive families and communities where we need all the support for everyone mm-hmm. here. And I would say, you know, communication between the adoptive parent and the the birth parents, like reassess that it, it ebbs and flows that relationship, just like any, it takes time and energy and work and effort. So I think oftentimes two people here, right. About like, that we we have birth parents stay with us for several days and we go oh my god <laughs> so i don't want to scare anyone that's listening but you know think about that right like it, it took us time and energy and effort to get there um it also took really honest conversations i think at one point too we we kept talking about this visit right and it just didn't seem to be happening and i finally was again me being the blunt person i am i was like what is your barrier right is it you yeah. are emotionally scared to come is it financial? Like, what is the barrier? And like, once we talk about that, like done. Okay, cool. Like, and I also am very honest. I mean, not, not terribly, but I am very honest with my daughter's birth parents of like, I'm nervous too, (laughs) right? Like I'm cleaning my house and I also planned meals so that I wouldn't have to cook while they were here a lot because I wanted to spend as much time while they were here as possible. Right. So I was very thoughtful about that visit. Um, but I was also honest because birth parents are probably feeling the same things you are on a, like a different level, obviously, but, um, it's just, it's ironic how parallel sometimes that is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of us need to realize like we're human. We're, we're going to make mistakes. Everybody is. And just to pivot a little bit back to your business. Um, there's always like one like big contention that I see in the adoption community. It's when adoptive parents are making money off of adoption. And I know a little bit about how you run things and everything, but how do you address concerns like that? It's just like, well, where's the money going? Are you just trying to make money off of adoption? Like those types of things. That's can, funny. Can you yeah. address that? So and I get hate on that too, which is funny. Um, okay, so I when I started, right, I said I was just going to pay back my original investment and like maybe if I had extra money, it was going to go to my kid's college fund, right? That was that mm-hmm. was the intention with Love Grown. Um, it, like I said, grew way more than I ever anticipated. My kid's college fund is great. Um, and so when that shift happened, probably after year one, 
Um, I started, so I donate over 50% of what I make. Um, I don't know any other consultant that does that because it's their, it's their living, right? Like I work full time. Yeah. This is a passion and I'm able to do that financially. Like if I were to do love grown full time, that is exactly the ethics and gray area that I feel, um, as well of why I like, everyone keeps asking me like, why don't you just do this full time? You're like pulling yourself apart essentially. Um, and that's why, like, I just, I don't know how I feel about it. Um, but yeah, so I donate, I buy tons of books, as you know, <laughs> but written by a Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and then I also, I pump stuff into subscription services, kits, like anything I see adoptees do. Um, and then a significant chunk of money goes to help Lifetime Healing Foundation, which is an organization that supports birth parents post-placement um, and an in-person uh, group setting. And then On Your Feet Foundation is who I aligned myself with this year, um, and I hope to continue to do so. Uh, and that also provides post-support to birth parents, and that's just in therapy, um, retreats, and casework support. So... Um, yeah, I mean, but I do feel, how do I word that? I do feel like I deserve to be paid for my time and my emotional labor. Like, I definitely commend though, like, and I think people need to understand that like birth parents and adoptees too, when they're doing education, it is a, an emotional, it's yes. very taxing. It's very, um, I, yeah. I mean, imagine something that has happened in your life that's very traumatic that you continue to like, tell people and talk about and like teach, right? Like that's literally what we're doing um, to some degree, mm-hmm. uh, you know, me not as much, but, um, but it's, it, it is, it's time consuming. It's time away from my family. It's oftentimes it's evenings after I've put my kids to bed that I'm coaching or talking to families through something. Um, so I do feel like I deserve to be paid somewhat. Right. But I, I feel better pumping half of it back into adoptees and birth parents. Um, like I said, though, I, I'm not knocking on other businesses because that's their livelihood too, right? Like that's their income. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's definitely a tough place to be. And like, I've had messages from random people who are just like, you're just trying to make money off of trauma and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, uh, just trying to educate. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, I'm educating people. I'm sharing my story, which can be dramatic uh, and I shared that I donate 50% of what I make um, on Instagram about a year ago because I was like, I need to tote like the good that I do because I don't often talk about that. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and I got a lot of hate for that. And I was like, I I would love for you to name any other adoption organization that does that, but okay. <laughs> yeah. um, but I was just like, wow, okay. So I shouldn't get paid at all for my time. Cool. <laughs> I'm, it's funny to me because I am also very often critical of like the products, the businesses that adoptive parents put out there. Same. But also, I feel like there's something that sometimes we forget as a community is that adoptive parents are raising adopted children. So in some degree, some of the profits and everything are going to adoptees. But I feel like a lot of the concern is like people taking advantage and working the system, putting back information that isn't always 
correct or ethical and like the intentions behind it and like um just a few i think it was last week or the week before i shared two books written by adoptive parents yeah and there was immediate backlash and i knew it was gonna be a thing but anybody who knows me knows like like if you read my book like you know i'm very critical of the adoption industry adoptive parents and but i'm also very big on us working together together as a community Mm -hmm. and so these were two books written by adoptive parents that i felt had gone above and beyond done their due diligence have included adoptees in the work have included birth parents in the work in an ethical way and the way i look at it is that just like adoption products businesses and what have you are always going to exist but we have to get to a point where we are able to communicate with one another and make sure that the products and businesses and everything that are out there are ethical And so I felt that these two books did a pretty good job of it. Do I agree with everything these adoptive parents say? No. Am I agree with everything they say from now on or what they're going to do, what they're going to write afterwards or even everything in that book? No. But I do feel like we need to acknowledge when adoptive parents are taking the right steps in the direction that I think more need to do because um, the way (laughs) it's that old saying, it's like, you're going to catch more birds with like honey rather than vinegar. And, you know, we're all human. We all need some praise communication and to encourage more people to make the right steps, to go further, even next time to do a book where they pay adoptees even more, Mm -hmm. what have you. Like that is amazing. And I feel like, Adoptive parents can learn a lot from like you being able to donate. And like, I know it comes from a place of privilege where you're able to do that. You have another job and you have, you have the time to do this on the side because you have childcare, what have you. But if we acknowledge these systems and these businesses and what is going right, we can continue to build on that. And that's like a lot of the layer I get is, how can you do education, which is my jam and my passion, when you are a consultant? And like, honestly, now I've toyed with the idea of just pivoting to education because that's where I catch myself of having my foot in one and the other. Because a lot of education yeah. entities, when I want to do like, you know, collaborations, won't even touch me because I am a consultant. Right. And I get that because it's like a weird area of like, yeah, I am helping families pursue adoption. But like I do hundreds of calls a year and like, again, a small percentage of those are the families I help pursue. I hope I like, I mean, there's a good chunk. I'm sure I talk out of like not going that route or pursuing a different route completely. Um, mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, but I get it. I get, and that's, I love the education and that's why I really got into this arena. So that has been a, a shift in my business model I may or may not be considering as well. Um, but yeah, it's a consultants too. And just all the entities, even agencies and facilitators, like there's good ones and there's not so good ones and um, there's no regulation on any of it. So I will preach to them mm-hmm. that we need some federal regulation and adoption um, state laws. This is why they're yes. seeing all these unethical practices and certain state adoptions come out of certain states. 
New York Times did an amazing article about and video on this. Um, but there's mm -hmm. no one overseeing really, in my mind, too, the home study process, the education that's provided, and then consultants too. We're just rogue. Like I'm licensed through the state of my was my licensed through the state that I reside in. And I am also a home study educator for many agencies in my state. I don't need to do those things, right? Like, which is mind blowing. <laughs> um, and I yep. do feel like I see agencies more and more leaning on consultants for education, which I don't mind because like I said, it's my jam. But again, no one's regulating any of this. No one's overseeing it. it I just that part floors me. Um, so I'm like a whole huge advocate of that. And I, I, I knock on consultants and like our existence too, right? Like in a dream state, Can't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't need to be a thing, right? Like, yeah. Ugh, yeah. So Can you like, for those listeners out there who don't exactly know the yeah. difference between being a consultant and an educator and like what's the difference yeah so an agency is a license to the state of where they are located and they can be licensed in other states if they so choose it is a process and they have caseworkers meaning people who actually have to get a social work degree uh, and they process and do home studies which is a stamp of approval for an adoptive prospective adoptive parent to pursue adoption. It is required to adopt in the United States. I think some people forget that part. Um, and <laughs> also some um, agencies will work with expecting parents and facilitate uh, an adoption. Some agencies just solely do the home study process. Um, and then facilitators um, are basically, I don't even think they have to be a licensed. Uh, I don't think they have to have a degree in anything, um, but they facilitate the match. So they work with prospective couples and expecting parents, and they facilitate matching the two together. They literally make money off the transaction of the two. And often the qualms or concerns are that there's no representation for the expecting parent side, right? It's not separate. There's not separate casework support, attorney representation to make sure that that expecting parents um, understand what they're doing, signing and all those things. Um, and really, like I said, that they've been counseled and understand their options um, versus an agency should be providing a separate caseworker and attorney representation for the prospective couple that wants to pursue adoption and the expecting parents. It should be separate and then they facilitate those still the match. A consultant is what I do. Um, I am essentially like a coach or advocate to just to prospective couples or families. Um, I don't want to say couples because I do work with uh, single people pursuing adoption as well. Um, and I literally kind of walk them through the steps of adoption because, again, as a, as I used to be a prospective family, if you Google, and I, again, even an adoptee and birth parent too, but if you Google adoption, it's like literally being fire hosed with all this information and you don't know what's correct and you don't know what's unethical. You like It's a very yeah world, weird world to navigate. Um, so I hope that I provide education throughout that. So some consultants do education, some don't. Um, and then I also kind of, like I said, walk them through the steps of the whole process. And I also don't boot them when they bring their baby home because I believe education continues. So I have like guest speakers often, which Melissa has been one. Um, I often have adoptees <laughs> yes. and birth parents. Actually, this month was the first month 
um, I had an adoptive parent that I gave the mic to, um, which opened a whole can of worms because then, um, then I had clients asking me to share my story. So I did that. And then I've had now past love grown clients share their stories with other families. Um, I do this in a zoom platform with just my family. So it's small. It's not like public. <laughs> um, and same with yeah. our guest speakers. It's just via zoom with my like clients. Um, but yeah, and so uh, consultants should really never be talking or working with expecting parents. That is illegal. Um, like I said, I'm really just sitting on the side of the prospective family walking them through this. Because mm-hmm. that's a lot. Like I, I talked to my mom about like the process that she went through. And this was back in the 90s. I was adopted in 1993 from an orphanage in Colombia. And they kind of heard about this particular orphanage through word of mouth through the lawyer that they used to buy their house. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, so, it, 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 you know, this was back in the day of, like, paper applications and, like, mm-hmm. faxes and calls over, like, m- the first picture that they saw was just, like, this tiny little, like, two-by-two image, and uh, that's all that they pretty much knew, and then they had no idea. They had put their full trust in this agency in the orphanage and then they were told one story about my birth mother which ended up being completely different than the truth and how the way I look at it's just like looking back I'm like okay you guys were a little naive yep but when you're so excited and you really want this baby like you're not really seeing things clearly and so that's why I find the value in what you do because and you trust kind of the professional like that's what I did and that's I mean that's literally my driving passion and I've talked about this before our first adoption the agency told us that she did not want contact and told her we did not want contact I believe they did that because it was easier that way um Mm -hmm. I'm a creep I may have cyber stalked her a little and we start talking on social media come to find out we have both been lied to I'm really glad I did that. And obviously, like now we have visits. We've we've definitely grown. Um, but my daughter's records were sealed. I didn't know that. Right. Cause I trusted mm-hmm. the professionals. I I don't have a yep. social work degree. I am not a licensed agency through my state. Right. So I trusted that that what I was being told was actually occurring. Um, I trusted that the expecting parent was being looked out for. Um, right. Like I trusted that, that there was a process, there were laws, that there were things in place and there aren't. (laughs) Um, and so that's like where I was talking about, like, you don't know what you don't know in being a prospective couple. And yeah. And then just like that blind trust that you have for professionals is not always necessarily the, and yeah, and you are, you're very emotionally probably blinded too, just in wanting to grow your family. Um, also there's no, like, I, I love um, prospective families who like, well, we want to adopt because we, we like, um, we, we want to grow our family. Like they just feel so like, and I'm like, it, <laughs> I guess I like feel where you say you're like selfish, but like just own that. Like I, I wanted to, I wanted to be a mom, like wanted to grow my family. Like it is what it is. Just say it. It's okay. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, but yeah, that's like one of the driving forces of Love Grown too is just 
all the things I didn't know and didn't know to advocate for, like the original birth certificate and, 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 and like, I didn't know state laws of sealing records. Um, so just yeah. to give you an idea, most states seal records with the closed adoption, which is not even a closed adoption. Um, but even with her biological mom, dad, adoptive mom, dad, I cannot get, and we have, we know the information, right. But I just wanted it to have it there for my daughter and I can't, we can't access yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. It's just like things like that, that, and just, like I said, advocating on, on, um, you know, you're the ones paying the money. I hate to like put it that way, but like, you're the one that has a little bit more, a lot more power in this to ask yes. the questions and to dig deeper and to ask more of your professionals and to make sure too that, like I said, the expecting parent is getting proper counseling and is having a separate representation um, to really, again, one, guarantee that it's ethical. Um, and I always tell that too, like my North Star is my children, right? So when I have this converse in they already know, right? But like when we continue to have these deeper conversations as they get older, I want to be able to say I did everything in my power to do this ethically. And I don't want to have to like hide anything, right? Like that I, and that's what made me cyber stalk. <laughs> right. Because in my mind, I was like, I want to say I did everything in my power to have that connection for her if she ever wanted it. And, and also too, I thought about, which is weird, but like my, if my daughter ever wanted to have children, I will never be yeah. able to have those like conversations with her about like growing a child. Like I just won't. And her birth mom will like, how awesome is that? Um, mm -hmm. And just all the things you don't think about like right away when you have your baby, like just medical history or even I just yes. things, but like my daughter's skin gets easily irritated. Well, so does her birth mom, right? Like there's just little weird things that I can like text her and be like, so is this like, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, it's just nice to have that. And I'm sure, like I said, it'll even be more amazing as she gets older and hopefully she'll appreciate that too. But um, I've appreciated it even as a parent. Um, but yeah, sorry, that was a random segue, but no, no, I, I think that's all valuable information, but I do want to caution any adoptive parents out there who are interested in like opening up adoptions, like, please make sure that you are very respectful of birth parents, first parents, um, not everybody is okay with being open and like just with my own birth mom she was very hesitant at first and I personally wanted to respect her boundaries and get medical information and as luck would have it she wanted to open up over over the years and we've had that amazing experience but there's trauma on all sides and we need to hold space for that and I'm really glad that you guys were able and on the same page from like almost immediately um but I also think it's important to kind of hear from birth parents when possible because like you said sometimes adoption agencies aren't always as forthcoming as they should be and I also <laughs> talk about finding out where the money is going when you're working with an agency they should be able to give you like a breakdown of like items if you live in like an HOA or whatever like yeah at items like where like that where money going. is going yeah, look at like the higher up, see like their salaries, see where like the programs are because 
the help for the birth parent shouldn't stop at when that baby is placed. And like with my birth mom, she was kicked out of the orphanage like less than 12 days later. And if you know someone who's been pregnant and had a child, like it takes at least six weeks to heal fully and like barring conditions and whatever. So I, I like to think about it as we have laws in place to protect puppies and their parents and the babies can't be taken away until a certain number of weeks and we think about that because we're like we want to do best for the family we want to do best for the the children there let's bring that same kind of mentality protecting the children and doing what's best for everybody involved because these first few months are pivotal just for healing and everything so it and how the money time. is being <laughs> distributed too is a big one. I have issue. So because, so I work right for financial entity. Um, so yeah. I kind of often get on my soapbox about how if you do pay, which is very common, expecting parent expenses, and then those expenses just stop at birth. Like, how are you setting mm-hmm. this person up for financial success? Um, yes. Because you've been paying bills essentially, right? And then it stops. So what is going on there? Also, I know agencies have this horrible practice of the final payment being in cash at the hospital to the birth mom at this point, which kills me. It's very common. And oftentimes, too, adoptive parents don't even know this is being done, right? Because they're not in the room. Um, And so that's also something I, I definitely, if you're a prospective family, to ask how this is being distributed. And if her bills can be because they typically if there are bills being paid um an agency sets up auto pay do it for a couple months after baby's born instead of this like cash incentive or whatever the hell the agency <laughs> describes it as but those are things you oh, to ask God. right and you just don't think to ask because you just again you think it's being done ethically and that it's a professional and you just i didn't even it was not even a thought i had our first adoption um, yeah, and I would just say to obviously respect those involved in the open adoption. I reached out because I wanted to try, right? Like, and if she had said I don't, right, I would have respected that, but I wanted to at least try. Um, and I've definitely, and so has, um, so Ashley Mitchell is a birth mom who owns Lifetime Healing Foundation. She's come and spoke to my families as well. We've kind of talked to my families about that as well, of just like that initial outreach and just seeing, right? And obviously respecting if no, if someone does not want to open that, because it does open a whole other layer inside of things for the birth parent side. Um, but I do think that that initial outreach is so crude. I've had at least a lot of good come from it, um, at least in mm-hmm. my clients, of of even just opening that door a little, right, of some type of communication or just again, something that may seem small or whatever, but it's not. Um, so I definitely, if you're like cautioning or thinking about that, like at least in my mind, like I said, I wanted to tell my daughter, I at least tried. Right. Mm-hmm. And like try once that's fine. But yeah, obviously leave, leave them alone too, <laughs> and respect if they don't want contact. But, um, but I definitely think it's worth the reach out if you're considering it. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that with us and just having you on the show today. I'm very excited to begin the series where we're I'm opening up to uh, more people in the adoption community. And 
it was a pleasure. Uh, I do usually ask like adoptees at the end of the show, like, if they had one piece of advice, but my question for you, since you're an adoptive parent would be like, what's something that you've learned that we haven't discussed um, in the rest of the show that, that surprised you about adoption that you wish more adoptive parents were aware of from like the get go. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> so I get on my soapbox kind of about, about, a couple things, but one of the things, which obviously is probably why you and I connect so well, um, is transracial adoption. I just feel like there's not enough education out there on it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not typically touched on even in home studies, at least from what I've seen. Um, and so that is something that even in the education I had prior to going into it, it's a whole other level, bringing that child home, um, and in your community and, unfortunately, right, like people in my community and friends and family very surprised me in good and bad ways. Um, and so I just, there's not enough education that can happen, I think, with transracial adoption. Um, and really thinking about all the layers that that brings on and where, you, like I said, and where you live and who you surround yourself with and goodness, just all the things. Um, that was something that I thought, right, like I was ready and prepared for. <laughs> no so um yeah I guess that's like one of my soapbox education things that I always talk about so please listen to transracial adoptees there's a lot of amazing ones on Instagram there's a lot of like subscription services books kits um my goodness like just but please seek those especially resources from adoptees out um because there's not enough uh, education you can do in that regard 100% definitely agree with that well thank you again for having us uh where can we find you yeah um so I'm on Instagram it's a lovegrown adoption consulting it's very long because I wanted to make sure people knew I was not an agency um so that's on Instagram and then my name is Paige Knipfer so I'm also on Instagram as a Paige Knipfer and then my website is same thing it's www.lovegrownadoptionconsulting.com I'm so glad that you joined me today. And if you would like to hear more from Adoptee Thoughts, make sure to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. And if you'd like to learn more about me, you can check out my website, adopteethoughts.com. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.